0: You guys, we, what a great morning already. Um, today, you're in for a special treat. Um, Mike has actually gone to Vancouver with my daughter. They're gone to do a camp. This week they left at 4 a.m. Um, it's such a privilege to be invited by other churches to be able to speak culture and Christ. And um, it's so very good for Mike Um, I'm so thankful that he gets to have uh, the networking and the relationship of so many people and that church has been so generous to say bring your child bring Maddie and she's 15 and she's gonna have a week-long time at camp that's so very fun Um, and so this morning In lieu of all the networking and all the relationships that Mike and I have in doing this job. We have an amazing friendship in A.J. Thomas, who is the pastor at Deepwater. And he is going to preach for us today. So would you welcome him? I just want to say one thing. Sure. Which I said I wouldn't. But... um, I don't know of anybody who has, who is so brilliantly smart, AJ, you're super smart. Um, you are also such a wonderful, amazing Do you friend. you hear what she just said about yeah. you? Kelly, if you're watching. Apparently, you're wife. all
1: dumb. <laughs> no, no, no. If, if I'm that smart, <laughs> I'm just
0: kidding. He yeah. is very funny, um, talented. <laughs> has a lot of abilities, but AJ, you are such an amazing friend to my husband and I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for who you are, not in anything to do with this job, but who he is as a man and the voice he is to my husband and I, and you know, this is new for me that once we started Nova, um, I worked from home and then starting Nova, I got to meet all these wonderful men and, and women that my husband was in relationship with because I am doing this job as well. Um, AJ has been the most incredible person to see me in a room and to validate me and to really be relational. And I appreciate that. I think you're wonderful. So I know you hate all that, but there you go. You guys, here we go. We're in for a good morning. Give him a round of applause.
1: Thank you, Uh, it is great to be here with you today. Uh, Nova, I bless you in the name of Jesus and uh, I just pray that God continues to do great and beautiful and wonderful and that could only be Jesus level stuff uh, through you as a body. Uh, I've been tracking with Nova from the earliest days. Uh, There's a pretty good chance I knew about Nova before you did And, uh, and it's just been so cool to see the way uh, that God has brought this church body together and raised you up. Uh, it's been cool not just to kind of see that from the sidelines, but to be able to, to partner together. Uh, in the, some of the earliest days of NOVA, our church was able to provide a little bit of financial support and encouragement that way. Uh, and then we're getting ready to launch this same Next Steps uh, program that they talked about earlier at our church. And you guys have actually been coaching us on how to do that well, because you're the experts on that one. And so it's cool just to see, you know, not just friendship, but actual partnership and and collaboration uh, for the kingdom. I wanna let you know uh, that your pastors, Mike and Nancy, are the real deal. Uh, They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk, they live it out. This thing of loving people and caring about people uh, is 100% legit. And I've been on the receiving end of that uh, more than once. But most recently, back in April, uh, Mike and Nancy and I and a few other pastors from the East Coast uh, had flown to Toronto and then driven up to Muskoka for this uh, pastor's retreat shindig thing that Alpha was hosting. And uh, we we're all flying back together. We touched down in Halifax at like 11.30 or something. And I felt crazy late. and uh, And I get a text from my wife who's on the way to pick me up. And it says, I ran out of gas. And I'm on the side of the highway kind of, somewhere between the city and the airport. And uh, she's like, I think I'm going to try to walk to a gas station. And I said, you are insane. Stay in your vehicle. (laughs) Stay off the road. I'll figure out a way to get some gas and get to you. And don't go wandering down the highway in the middle of the night. Well, Mike and Nancy uh, find out that that's what's going on, they're like, no, no, don't worry about it. Josh and Maddie are coming to pick us up. You just jump in with us. We'll go get uh, some gas. We'll take it to your wife. Everything will be great. I said, thank you. You people are wonderful. So that's what we did. Uh, Josh and Maddie pulled up. We all jumped in. They were like, who's this random person you brought home from Toronto? I was like, oh, he was on the street and his life was tough and we love though. G- no. And so, uh, so we jump in. We go to the little gas station right there by the airport. If you've ever gotten gas at the airport, that's the gas station you got it at, unless you siphoned it out of a car in the long-term parking lot we all have a history God has grace so we go to this gas station we buy a little jerry can we fill it up with gas we drive past my wife of course because we're still on the highway so we have to go past to the next exit and turn around and come back up so it's like 15 or 20 minute drive to get to where she's at and we stop. we put the gas in the car we go to turn it on and nothing we're like oh okay must just not have been enough gas maybe like it was all the way dry and i figured you know just a little bit would get it going and then off you'd go but it wasn't quite enough so mike said look you stay here with your poor wife she's a little shaken i'm not like losing it but i mean it's not a not a wonderful evening for her so she said you stay with her you give us the jerry can we'll go back and get more gas and come back i was like really he's a guy okay Thank you, you're a saint. So I sit there, I keep my wife uh, comfortable and uh, she kind of moves over to the passenger seat, kind of, okay, everything's gonna be all right. Mike and Nancy and Jock and Maddie, the whole family, they head back to the gas station at the airport, they fill up the jerry can again, they bring it back, we put it in and nothing. It's like, man, this was really out of gas, like all the way out of gas. What are we gonna, so we try like rocking the vehicle to try to like get the gas to work its way down into like whatever places it needs to be. If there's some sort of air locking thing going on, we're trying to solve that, nothing. Mike says, buddy, give us the jerry can. We'll go back again. So the whole family at like midnight now jumps in the car and does another like 20 minute round trip to the gas station at the airport, back to the other exit, back up to us. We pour all the gas in, we go to turn on the key, and nothing. Mike says, okay, that's enough for this foolishness. We need a bigger jerry can. You stay here with your wife. The whole family, Mike, Nancy, Josh, they all jump in the car again they drive all the way back to the airport gas station, they buy an even bigger jerry can, they fill it all the way, they come all the way back to the previous exit, turn it back up, come pour that all into the car, and sure enough, it starts. Now, I don't know very many people who will spend 25 minutes or a half an hour late at night at the end of a long day with both their kids in tow, going to get you gas four times but Mike and Nancy Miller are those kind of people. It's not just a a public face thing. It's not just you know, when the Instagram photos are being taken, like they genuinely love people and care about people. And I hope you understand how blessed you are to have them here with you at Nova. So we got the car filled and it was finally enough. And we could get to the gas station and fill up the rest of the way. And since then we try to keep Uh, the car is fairly full, but here's an interesting thing in that moment, Mike and Nancy and Josh and Maddie, the whole family, I still, I can't, I was just like, my kids would be going, what in the world? I'm sure their kids were too, but Mike made them stay in the car so we couldn't hear them. Uh, but, but we're sitting there and we haven't, this is clearly God's provision. This is clearly God looking out for us through his people and he gets us enough gas to get to the gas station. But you know, we've had to fill up several times since that God's provision was not enough that we would never need anything ever again. And I don't like that about how God provides. You know, if I'm being honest with you, uh, I would prefer that when God provides, he would provide sometimes in a more extravagant over the top sort of way like God has provided for me financially many times. uh, But for some reason, he's yet to make me a millionaire. And God has has given me strength and peace in some incredibly dark situations, but he's never made me one of these just like always positive, upbeat people like I'm kind of crabby and cynical, but I make it. God makes sure that I get through and but that's kind of how he seems to provide, and maybe you've experienced a similar thing that like God has absolutely met your need, but kind of barely, like just enough. Like, it's not like you came out of the other end of that situation going like, but you came out the other end, right? It's not like you uh, paid off your bill and then bought the company you owed the money to, (laughs) but you were able to pay the bill, right? It's not like, uh, you know, God healed you And gave you superpowers right but he he, he helped you get better why why does God provide like that and can we trust God to provide for us in the first place at all that's what we want to talk about together this morning we're gonna be in the book of Exodus uh, chapter 16 we're gonna read a pretty long passage together so buckle up but first I need to make sure you're caught up in the story If you've seen uh, either the old Charlton Heston movie or uh, the Prince of Egypt animated thing, perfect. We're just about to pick up where those left off, more or less. Uh, So this is like the sequel to those, right? So a very fast version of the story. The children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. Uh, God sends Moses. Moses calls down all these plagues. Pharaoh finally relents, lets them go. They march out of Egypt with their, you know, just, woo! Says literally shaking their fists in earlier in the book of Exodus. They're just stoked. They've like looted the whole place. They're out of here. They're, everything is awesome for two weeks until they get to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh and his army come after them. And now they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They're trapped between an ocean and an army. And they are terrified. And they're, oh, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And God is with them. And the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that are the presence of God leading them sets down between them and the Egyptians to protect them. And then God tells Moses to part the waters. Moses raises his staff, the waters part. They walk through the sea on dry land. As they're getting out the other side, Pharaoh's like, we're going after them. And so they head in and then God uses the same water that he had separated for the Egyptians to make a way to close back in again, to wipe out all of Pharaoh's army, kills the whole lot of them. There's nothing, as I like to say, everyone who lived, lived happily ever after in that story. But it, it was, that was it. God wiped out this entire army. He demonstrates not just that he is powerful, but that his power is for them. That he cares about them. That he's providing for them. That he's taking care of them. And so they get out the other side and everything is awesome and they head off to an area called the wilderness of sin. And it would be very tempting to read into that, but don't. It just, it's from the same original root word as Mount Sinai, which is where they're ultimately headed. It's not like some big, like, this is the place where the sin happens. It's just what it was called in not English. And so they head off there, and they get there, and it's been, like, again, just not that long, maybe another week or two kind of thing. It's not like it's been years and years and years, generations and generations. It's been, like, a few weeks. They get there, and they start running out of food. And now they're, oh! is ending and we're all gonna starve and we're all gonna die and they start talking about how back in Egypt all we did was sit around and eat big pots full of meat which I'm pretty sure isn't true I mean maybe generations ago but not while they were being enslaved I've seen a lot of, like, documentaries on slavery. I've been involved in some organizations that work to end human trafficking. And none of them tell stories of enslaved people just sitting around a buffet all day, stuffing their faces with, like, prime cuts of meat, right? Like, that's not a part of it. But they're maybe just remembering the past a little better than it actually was and there they go oh we're just gonna starve to death in the wilderness that's where we pick up the story here we go exodus chapter 16 we're gonna start at verse 11 we're reading all the way to verse 32 get comfortable then the lord said to moses i've heard the israelites complaints now tell them in the evening you will have meat to eat and in the morning you'll have all the bread you want then you will know that i am the lord your god That evening, vast numbers of quail, that's a kind of bird, flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, It's the food the Lord has given you to eat. Sometimes we don't recognize God's provision, right? It's the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little, but when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. I have three teenage sons. I know from terrible smells. (laughs) Moses was very angry with them. After this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family came or each family according to its need. As the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then the leaders of the community came to Moses for an explanation. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what's left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. Moses said, eat this food today for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There'll be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people? Re- if God is asking you a question, <laughs> that's a frustrate, because it's not because he doesn't know, he's just that frustrated, right? How long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? I feel like Moses, that's the moment he goes, I don't know, man, I'm with you. Like, I don't, it's them, man. I- we-, you- we got this problem together, Lord. How long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two day supply on the sixth day. So there'll be enough for the two days. On the Sabbath day, much each stay in your place. Do not go out and pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather food on the seventh day. The Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander seed and it tasted like honey wafers. That sounds like cookies to me. Sweet wafers. I think if the Lord was doing this today, it'd be either uh, President's Choice the Decadent uh, or those like in store made chocolate chippity ones you get at Atlantic Superstore. Oh, they are, aren't they? I got to stop thinking about them. I got a sermon to preach. All right. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded fill a two quart container with manna to preserve it for your descendants. Then later generations will be able to see the food I gave you in the wilderness when I set you free from Egypt. Let's pray. Father, be with us as we look at your word. Would you help us not just to understand what you expect of us, but more importantly, what we can trust about you and who you are. Father, we wanna know you. We don't wanna just believe in our conception of you. We wanna believe in you as you truly are. So would you through your word today, reveal yourself to us, help us to see you more clearly so that we can trust you more deeply so that we can experience the peace and joy and hope that you long to give to us. And then as a response to that, would you help us to act accordingly? We ask this in Christ's name, amen. First idea I want us to talk about is that God does indeed see your need. The children of Israel complained to each other. They complained to Moses. They complained to Aaron. They talked to everyone but God. But scripture says God still saw their need. He heard their complaint. They weren't complaining to him, they were complaining, if anything, about him. But he cared enough. He was already paying attention that he knew what they needed, he was tracking with them. God sees your need in your moment of need. It's fine to talk to some friends for some encouragement and some support, but rather than complaining to people, make sure you're talking to God about it. Make sure you're bringing it to him because he already sees, he definitely cares. And he's the only one who can definitely take care of it. He's the only one that can definitely do something about it. So when God sees your need, but it's still good to talk to him about it, right? and God will meet your need. He will meet your need. There's nothing you can need that God cannot supply. He has it, He has enough of it, He has it for you. There is nothing you can need that God cannot supply. He has resources, material resources, emotional resources, spiritual resources, interpersonal, relational resources. He has what you need and more than enough of it. His ability to provide far outpaces your ability to be in need, which is saying something because some of you are real needy. (laughs) Like that's your whole identity. Right, And if anyone ever solves a problem for you, you get annoyed because now you have to find a new problem to have because you don't know how to be a person who's not in constant need. You might want to talk to Jesus and a therapist about that, <laughs> if that's you. He has what you need. He'll provide what you need. But just that, what you need, not everything you desire, not everything you crave. Not, he doesn't say, I'll satiate every appetite you have. He says, I'll supply your need. I need strength day by day and God keeps providing it. I want a large wood shop so far, no dice. I need love and grace and God keeps providing it. There was a time in my life when what I wanted was popularity and fame and God in his grace did not provide that God can and will meet your need. Sometimes you just have to be patient, Sometimes the quail's gonna come tonight, not right now. Sometimes the man is gonna show up in the morning. You just gotta wait till morning. Sometimes you just need to reevaluate though. Is this a thing God is actually keeping me from in his goodness, right? Is this a thing that's just gonna feed an unhealthy appetite in me, which is just gonna reinforce some stuff God's trying to get out of me in the first place. Is this an actual need or is this an ego thing? Is this an actual need or is this a greed thing? Is this an actual need or is this a temptation ultimately that I'm hoping God will help me, right? I'm Lord, lead me into the temptation and then give me the thing I'm tempted to do. Like that that's actually what we're praying. If we actually think through, if we understood things. From God's perspective, God sees your need and He'll meet your need, and this is it. We're gonna two ideas. I'm gonna share two more. This is the middle one. This is the pivotal one. If you don't click anything else today, click this. God wants you to trust Him more than what He provides. God will provide what you need, but not so much that you don't need Him anymore. God will provide what you need, but not so much that you don't need Him. Anymore. When I need $500, do you know what I wish God would provide for me? $500 million so that I will never need money again. When I need peace, do you know what I wish God would provide? A lifetime free of challenges and traumatic experiences and hard situations so that I'll never need peace again. When I need a friend, do you know what I wish God would provide? For everyone everywhere to always like and agree with me. so that i never have any sort of interpersonal strife ever again. See, I don't want God to just meet the need I have right now. I want him to make it so I never need anything ever again. I don't want to have to trust him to provide. I want to never need him to provide for me again. But if I don't want to need anything, that means I don't want to need him. If I'm looking to be in a place where I never need anything, I'm saying, God, I wanna be in a place where I don't need you. But God knows that my biggest need is not money. My biggest need is not friends. My biggest need is not even like peace and hope and joy. My biggest need is Him, like Him personally. Not something I think I can get from Him, but Him. Like He is the end, not the means. He is the goal, not the path to get there. He's the end point, not just the journey. He knows that my peace doesn't come from good weather. My peace comes from knowing who is in the storm with me. He knows that strength doesn't come from an easy life, but from the life of the one who has overcome the world being lived through me. He knows that as soon as money touches my hands, it is in jeopardy. Jesus talked about this, right? Where moth can eat, where rust can rust. The grammar on that one's not beautiful, but it's accurate. Rust rusts, right? That's what it does. My stocks can go down. The housing market can cool off. Bitcoin could take a hit. As soon as that money touches my hands it's volatile. Someone could come into my house and find the stack of non-sequential unmarked hundreds that I keep under my mattress. That's not there. The only thing under my mattress is bed, but when that money is in his hands, it's safe. When those resources are in his hands, they're safe. So sometimes, He just gives me like what I need for now and holds on to the rest for himself. You know, like a parent would do with a child that they love and care about, but also know (laughs) I don't want to put too many more 20s through the laundry, right? This is the seventh wallet we've replaced this month. God knows that what I really need is him, right? Think of my my son Isaac, he's the last one who's at home and he's barely at home, he's working at camp all summer. There are things we give him that he needs, but at the end of the day, he's still at a point where what he really needs most is parents, right? Like we couldn't just leave him with enough stuff for him to be fine and then disappear. God realizes that's how we are. There are things he provides for us, things he takes care of for us, things he sends our way, but he knows that what we really need is him personally, So he provides what I need today, but usually just enough for today. Like he did with the children of Israel, right? I'm gonna give you what you need for today, but by tomorrow it's all gonna be gone bad anyways. So I'll stay close to him, so I'll lean on him, so I will trust in him. Because what I need most is not the provision, it's the provider. What I need most is not the provision, it's the provider and providing for me in ways that make it easier for me to wander off from him is ultimately counterproductive. That would not be the loving thing to do. To provide for me in such a way that that provision causes me to disconnect from the provider as opposed to lean on the provider would be counterproductive. God wants me to trust that he will provide not to trust what he provides. My faith needs to be, again, in the provider, not in the provision, because that keeps me close to him, and he's the one I need most. Rather than leading me away from him where my peace and hope and joy and strength and all those things can be, to use the language of the text, full of maggots and smelling bad, right? He keeps me close to him, and when I stay close to him, I have him, the one that I need most, and then through him, I can trust that everything else I might need will be provided as well. So God sees your need, he'll meet your need, but he wants you to trust him, not what he provides. All right, bonus round, two other ideas in the text. God wants you to rest. Laziness is bad, hard work is good. Even in the garden uh, of Eden, the, the perfect place there's been, right? God creates Adam and Eve and goes, this is perfect, now here's your job. You're gonna tend this garden, you're gonna take care of it. You have responsibilities, you have work to do. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, those who aren't willing to work shouldn't get to eat. I mean, that's pretty pro hard work, okay? But the same God who gave Adam and Eve a job in the garden also gave them a Sabbath. That happened right at the same, here's your job, do it for six days, then take a day off and rest. And that's what he's reiterating with the Israelites here. Again, to the story, they haven't made it to Mount Sinai yet. They don't have the 10 commandments, right? God's not going, remember that rule I gave you back. He's just going, we don't even have time. I can't, I'm gonna give you a whole bunch of commandments here in just a few minutes when you get to this big hill. But even before that, I wanna make sure you know this Sabbath thing is my gift to you. And I'm gonna provide for you in a way that allows for that rest to happen. That's what he's reiterating here. So he says, go out. Collect food for six days. And then on the seventh day, stop. Trust that the God who provides for you through your hard work will also provide for you in your rest. It's not just okay to rest, it's required. And the biblical model of rest is not, we go and go and go and go until we collapse. And then we rest so we can kind of recuperate. The biblical model of rest is not about recuperation. It's about rhythm. It's about building a rhythm of rest into my life so that I don't collapse. It's not about work until you can't work anymore and then rest from your work. It's about have a discipline of rest and then work from your rest, work from a place of strength, work from a place of restedness. And when you take that time to stop, to rest, focus on God and remember who he is and what he's done and what he said. That's part of why uh, we take time on Sundays, right? To get together and to recalibrate our hearts. As pastor Nancy said, earlier sometimes through the week it's easy to get distracted but in my experience if I can drag my unfocused uh haven't prayed enough didn't read my bible as often as I should have lost my temper three times uh if I can drag that sinful carcass of me (laughs) into the church there's something about that even if my head's not there when things start even if my heart's not in it even if I'm just literally making my body be there God has a way of showing up and recalibrating, right? And that's part of what a Sabbath should be for us. It should be this recalibration of a heart to focus on God, taking time to remember who he is, that he's your provider. And that if you stop moving for a day, he will keep working. We partner with God in ministry in this world, but we are junior partners, right? It's not like if we clock out for a day, there's nobody running the show, you know? It's not one of those like the traffic lights will stop working and like planes will crash into it. It's like, we don't run the world. You don't even run your world, right? If you've given yourself to Jesus, it's not even that you don't run the world, you don't even run your world. You just clock in six days a week and then you trust that the boss has got it covered on that day seven. That even when you stop Moving the world keeps spinning. God wants you to rest, and you don't just have his permission, you have his command. Don't stop, or don't think that if you stop hustling for 24 hours, that God is going to stop providing for you because you haven't earned it anymore. You don't deserve it anymore, right? Well, maybe at the maybe God will provide for me if I work hard, and that is true. Six days. Then on the seventh day, He's going, and I'm still gonna provide for you. To be able to have some rest, to be able to—it's not about seven Sabbaths in a row, <laughs> right? It's like I'm not. Well, if if taking one day a week is good, I'm gonna take seven. I'm gonna phone it in. I'm gonna let. Like, no, work hard. Be a good employee. Care for your family, but take a day somewhere in there. I'm not legalistic about like, well, it's Saturday. It's got to be Saturday, or it doesn't count, or it's Sunday, or, or it's. Well, yeah but take some time and rest. Take the principle, if not the legalistic practice and take some time for rest. And in that rest, focus on God. Remember Him, recalibrate your heart to Him. His provision assumes your Sabbath. Like that's what I love about this, is it's not, I'm gonna provide for you for six days and then on the seventh day rest, but be hungry, right? I'm gonna provide for you one way for five days, Then on the sixth day, I'm gonna double provide for you. And then on the seventh day, I'm not gonna give you anything new because that would create work, right? I'm gonna give you enough on day six that you can relax on day seven. God's provision assumes your rest. He wants you to rest. And then this last idea we've already started talking about is that God wants you to remember. God tells him to put some of this manna in a jar. And what he tells them to do with that jar is to put it in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a real thing. It wasn't invented by like Steven Spielberg for the Indiana Jones franchise. It's this real thing. And it was, a. a I mean, this is the most dumbed-down explanation you'll ever get of the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box. Uh, <laughs> and it was sort of the, 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 it represented, it was the locus of the presence of God with the people of Israel. Where the Ark was, God was in powerful Ways. But it was also sort of like a, a time capsule or like a hope chest where they put important stuff that they wanted to be able to look back on and remember. Eventually, the Ten Commandments will go in here. And this is where God tells them to put this jar of manna. He says, I want you to keep some of this so that you can remember how I have provided for you. I want you to have a reminder of how I have in my power and strength provided for you. Listen, when God provides for you, and I don't, again, please don't hear provision as only financial. For most of us, that's fairly low down on the list of things we actually need, right? I need, I I could use some more money, but I need hope and peace and joy and love and friendship. And like, there's so many things I need worse than that, right? When God provides for you, find a way to remember that. Find a way to capture that. If you're a journal person, write it in your journal. Write it in the, the margins of your Bible. If it's something you can take a picture of, maybe it is something material or financial, maybe it's a person through whom that provision comes. If it's something you can take a picture of, take a picture of it so you have something to look back on. If you've got nothing else to do, post it on Facebook, and in a year, Mark Zuckerberg will remind you of how God has provided for you but find some way to be reminded of it. Because here's the thing He's provided enough for today. And another tight season is coming. Another hard situation is coming. Another dark night is coming. Another lonely journey is coming. Another stressful situation is coming. And you and I can save ourselves so much stress, so much anxiety, so much despair. We can live so much more in the peace and the hope and the joy if we can trust God and being able to look back and go, look, here's the jar with the way that God provide. Like Here's the manna from last time he will provide again. Here's one of the Egyptian spears that washed up on the shore of the Red Sea, he will provide again. Here's the friend that brought me through that, that God used to provide, he will provide again. Here's the unexpected check that showed up, he will provide again. Here's what I wrote the night his presence just broke through and changed my whole perspective on this thing. He will provide Again, you can save yourselves. We can save ourselves so much worry and stress and anxiety. If we can continually remind ourselves all the better if it's with tangible evidence that we serve a God who sees our needs, can and will meet our needs, and that it's normal and healthy and good that he does it in a way that grows our trust in him, but also grows our dependence on him because he, not just the stuff he provides is what we really need. And then through him, he will provide us with everything else we need too. I think there might be at least a couple of people here today who this is sort of where you're living right now. Like you're two weeks out from the Red Sea and hungry, you know? You're, you're, you're in a situation and it's bad, but then your fear of how it will never get solved is making it even worse. You're in a situation where um, you can't figure out how to solve it. And so you've decided that it is therefore not solvable, which is a very different thing, right? It's just above your pay grade. You can't solve it. It's a very different thing than it's unsolvable. You can't come up with it. It's not the same thing as it's not there, right? And maybe this morning you just need to say, God, instead of just laying awake in bed at night, thinking about this, I'm gonna talk to you about it. I wanna, I know you already know, but I'm gonna express to you my need and I'm gonna express to you my trust in you to meet that need. And then I'm going to ask you to help me have more trust. I love that story, right? Where the the fella comes to Jesus and he says, hey, can you heal my kid? If, If it's possible, I'd like you to heal my kid, right? And Jesus goes, what do you mean if? Don't you believe? And he goes, I believe, but like, not all the way. <laughs> I believe, help my unbelief, right? It's like there's a, whatever, like on a scale of one to 10, my faith is maybe like a four or a five. So it's not non-existent, but there's some room to go. Can you help me make up the difference? Maybe some of us here this morning just need to say, God, I, I, mean, I'm, I do believe and I do trust you, but I need you to give me more trust that'll sink down to the, to the level where it gives me peace, where it gives me hope, where this issue stops stealing my joy. If that's you, I'd just love to, to pray for you this morning uh, as or before or when the band comes out. Um, this is that cue we talked about. I'm not, I'm not real slick. But if that's where you're at, uh, I would invite you here in just a second, just to stand where you're at. No one's gonna like touch you or force you to like call you up and like Don't tell everyone what you're going through. Nothing like that. You'll stand, that's it. Uh, but just as a way of saying, hey God, I know you already see my need, but this is me bringing it to you. And obviously I wouldn't be bringing it to you at all if I had like no trust. But I need more trust. Would you grow my faith? Would you deepen my trust? And when you meet this need, would you help that to grow my faith and trust even more for the next time? If that's where you're at, that's something that you want to express to God. I'm going to invite you to stand right now and I just want to pray for you. You too, eh? I'm right in the middle of this. This has been my life lately. And God, in his providence, about four months ago, said, Hey, AJ, this summer you're preaching on Exodus. And I went, All right, whatever. (laughs) You know, and then I get there and it's like, Oh, I'm preaching to me on Exodus all summer. Cool. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, you see those who are standing. You know their heart. You know their need. You know, whatever the situation is, you know how overwhelmed they are. You know how much sleep they've lost. You know how much joy that that need has stolen. You know how much uh, more peace is possible. God, I just pray that right now you would see that expression of trust that bringing a need to you in the first place is like if we thought it was pointless to bring it to you we wouldn't so god there's faith there's trust there but we also ask that you would help our unbelief god for some of us our faith peaks right about now on a sunday morning And by Thursday afternoon, it's going to be getting low again, and we're going to need you to provide. Today's provision isn't going to last all the way through the week, but it'll last till tomorrow, and then it'll be time to trust you again. God, would you help us to have a trust in you that's fresh every morning, like that manna. But God, we don't want to just be full of faith and starving. Your, your answer to the Israelites wasn't trust me more and be hungry. You actually provided. You actually met the need. You actually gave them what they needed. And so, Father, we ask that you would meet the needs that are represented by those of us who are standing here this morning. God, for some of us, there's a few of us at least, what we need is to realize it's not a need. What we need is to let go of something that's driven by ego or driven by pride or driven by envy or driven by greed. Driven by insecurity. And what we need is not for you to meet the need, but to set us free from the want. So, God, if that's where we're at, we pray that you do that. But there are others of us, no doubt, God, who it's just, it's actual, legit, it's the thing we need. As much as the Israelites needed food or they were to starve, there's things we need. God, would you meet those needs in a powerful, tangible way? And God, would you help us when you do? to give you the glory for it and then to find some way to lock that memory down a jar of some sort we can put it in so that the next day when yesterday's stuff has gone bad when it's been consumed when it's used up we would know we serve a God whose mercies are new every morning whose provision is fresh every day, who does not set us up for a life of independence from him, but for an abundant life of dependence on him. We ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus.
2: church can we all stand to our feet we're going to respond to God let's respond to that message and let's sing this together yeah So loud. Come on with one voice, let's make this the prayer of our community. All oh, to Jesus I surrender. to the heart of God, your heart, oh God, is all I know. Father God, we're so thankful. God, thank you that you are a provider, that you want us to rest in you and trust in you. So, Father God, as we go from here, as we go about our daily lives, Lord, let this not just be one fill-up of gas, but God, may we keep coming back to you and seeking you, trusting in you. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your provision. Lord, we love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Well, Church, we love you. We hope you have an incredible week. We hope you enjoyed the tropical heat. We're just giving you a taste of vacation. Y'all want to go to Florida? Here it is. All right. Be blessed. There's coffee flowing. Go say hi to someone. Don't just run off. If you want to, Next Steps is starting shortly. Go pick up your kids. Amen.